Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports show from RNZ Sport. I'm Barry Guy. We're looking back at the 2016 sporting year from the Rio Olympics to the All Blacks' record unbeaten run. New Zealand teams competing in Australian leagues. The Silver Ferns and Black Caps found it tough at times on the international stage, while Lydia Ko had her struggles and Joseph Parker climbed towards the top of his sport. I'm Barry Guy and I'm joined by RNZ Sports Editor Stephen Hewson and reporters Joe Porter, Denise Garland and Matt Chatterton. Stephen, let's start with the Olympics and there was a lot of talk about how ready Rio would be and there were also some health issues, but I suppose you'd have to say it went okay. Yeah, I suppose you do give it a pass, Mark, but, but what you think about is just, I suppose, what it could have been or might have been and, and the mere fact that the people of Rio just didn't really want the Games there, unfortunately. I mean... We spent, what, three, three and a half weeks there and the overwhelming feeling from the locals was why are we having these games when um, we've got so many economic problems, uh, no real education system, no sewerage system, no real social welfare program. Um, and that was the, the, or those were the questions that the, the karaoke's were, were asking, um, the billions of dollars of debt that Rio's, uh, I suppose, encumbered itself with to, to host these games. Um, there was the comment from from the uh, Olympic uh, Committee recently saying it was a great Olympics considering considering what was uh, in place there and the, and the problems that they had, which is hardly a ringing endorsement, I would have thought. But yeah, it was an Olympics that just seemed to, to lack something, unfortunately. I mean, it was obviously the first uh, Olympics to be held in the Americas or South Americas. So that was, I suppose, a, a talking point. But a, a, again, I mean, you've got to you've got to question why why the Games went there in the first place. Well, I suppose uh, it, it, it may be the beginning of the future that um, the Olympics needs to be a slightly lower level. And if it eventually does go to the uh, to Africa continent as well, we may be in a similar situation. Uh, New Zealand, of course, um, it was... Uh, uh, not a bad uh, performance by them. 18 medals, the best ever. Four gold. Now, that's only behind LA in 84 with eight and London in 2012 with six. Uh, a pretty good performance, uh, really. And and you'd have to say the gold medals came where they were expected. Yeah, well, I suppose gold medal-wise, there was disappointment that we didn't get, well, New Zealand didn't get more than, than that, that four. I mean, total medals, yes, a, a good effort. Uh, but you know, you, you look at some of those performances; they, they were uh, memorable. Mahi Drysdale and that narrow, narrow win in the uh, men's single skull. Obviously, Hamish Bond and Eric Murray continued on their their winning way. And the, the Lisa Carrington t- top effort in the canoe, and Peter Burling and Blair Chuk. I mean, sailing would have liked uh, another gold medal or two. And I suppose when we look about disappointments, really, you've got to look at um, cycling uh, returning just the one medal and equestrian too. They found themselves in such a a, a top uh, effort going into the, or on line for a gold medal going into the, the final phase of the, the um, three-day event, but, but they just simply couldn't get there. 
Uh, that's right. Yeah, we enjoyed the sailing competition. They they did well there. Uh, Peter Burling and Blair Chuk, and the mere fact that they continued their domination and won with a couple of races to go to go with uh, uh, outstanding. Uh, some highlights, perhaps. Um, I enjoyed the track and field, uh, even though it was really late at night and kept us up to two o'clock in the morning. Uh, Stephen, a uh, Valerie Adams silver medal. A lot of motion around that, and uh, she coped. Uh, and did particularly well afterwards when she spoke to us and also the injuries that she's had in the last uh, sort of 18 months and how she got over that. And Eliza McCartney's almost uh, fearless performance in the uh, in the pole vault, um, perhaps the youth in some way and lack of all of that international competition helped her to get to uh, a, a bronze medal. So a, a couple of the highlights. I, I suppose in a way, isn't it, that you're looking at medals there that weren't gold but were almost the ones that were the feel-good stories of the games. Uh, Eliza McCartney obviously grabbed everyone's uh, attention with her effervescence. Um, Tom Walsh, great character, hard worker. Um, and, and like you mentioned, Valerie Adams not um, getting that gold medal when uh, she missed out with the, the final throw with her, her effort being beaten beaten there. So uh, they, they were talking points and very much good news stories of the Rio Olympics. Uh, Denise, the country certainly for the two weeks of the Olympics, uh, you know, got, I'm assuming, right into the field. Uh, we'll be talking about rugby shortly, but uh, I, I imagine there was plenty of disappointment with the men's uh, sevens performance in Rio. Yeah, I think that took really everyone by surprise. I think uh, everyone in the country was really rearing up for a gold medal or at least a medal of any colour. Uh, but from the Right from the pool stages, it looked like uh, it wasn't going to be, and there were a lot of disappointed people getting up very early in the morning to uh, essentially watch New Zealand fail. Um, one good thing, I guess, that did come out of it was the Fiji actually going on to win the uh, their first uh, ever Olympic gold medal, and I think the country at least took some heart that that was a, a reasonable cons- consolation prize. Um, and of course, the women's sevens team went and uh, really took one for for the teams and went up there and did a really great job getting the silver medal. And the country again got right in behind them. So I think there was some uh, consolation prizes there for the New Zealand public, but not exactly what everyone was expecting uh, when the athletes set off for Rio. Uh, 18 medals, as you say, the, the sevens missed out, cycling perhaps. Um, I suppose New Zealanders are always greedy for, for medals though, and even though we got 18, which is a record, perhaps uh, there was a feeling that um, we could have had more. Absolutely, and I think uh, particularly of the gold colour as well. I mean, Valerie was, everyone was expecting her to to go and get gold. And although we did have people like Eliza McCartney, uh, Tom Walsh sort of come out um, and and grab medals that perhaps weren't necessarily expected before the Games, it was really those disappointments of um, Val Adams and and perhaps not getting quite as many uh, medals in the cycling considering how dominant we have been there at the Commonwealth Games uh, in Glasgow and uh, also at recent Olympics as well. On to rugby now. Joe Porter, a great year, you could say. Uh, the All Blacks extended their winning streak uh, to a world record 18. But, of course, they had that one loss in Chicago, which I suppose, in a way, a lot of people well, could have been upset but accepted it quite well, you know, that it was the Irish, I suppose. Yeah, well, you have to really admire the All Blacks team this year. They lost six almost over 100 test veterans after the World Cup and everyone was wondering how they'd manage that transition from all those players, your Richie McCaws, Dan Carters, Kevin Mayalamu's, Tony Woodcocks, 
guys that have been the core of this team for so long, and how could they handle replacing them? Well, not only did they replace them, but it was almost seamless. They won seven, sorry, 13 out of their 14 tests, broke the record for the most consecutive test wins from a Tier 1 nation. They crushed Wales in the th- first three-test series in June when everyone was really looking at how guys like Bowden Barrett and Aaron Cruden would take over from Dan Carter. Interesting guys like Adi Savia and a whole lot of new talent coming into the team, and they've managed that succession plan incredibly well. Looks at the likes of Anton Leonard-Brown in the midfield. Of course, they lost Maanonu and Conrad Smith and Sonny Bill Williams to injury. So there's been players that have come on in leaps and bounds. And it's been quite a remarkable year to watch the way that the players have slotted in and continued this this relentless pursuit of perfection that the All Blacks are after. They destroyed everyone, all comers in the rugby championship. They were just in a class of their own. Probably not helped by the fact that the Wallabies and South Africa have dropped off the pace somewhat this year. And again, on the end of year tour, perhaps got caught a little bit off guard by Ireland and Chicago. Having a loss is not necessarily a bad thing. And if you're going to lose to anyone, it seems the New Zealand public would definitely prefer it to be Ireland. We have a connection there. And and they made amends for it in Dublin, getting down and dirty, which I wasn't too unhappy to see either. So they know how to win. They've blooded a whole bunch of new players. The All Blacks machine just keeps rolling on. And, and they were, you know had Bowden Barrett won World Rugby Player of the Year, Steve Hansen Coach of the Year, and the All Blacks Team of the Year. I mean, it says a lot in those three statements. And uh, I, I suppose one of the non-fixtures of the year was the, the fact that the All Blacks didn't actually play England, and so there's still mm. some sort of rivalry going on there. Definitely. You mentioned Bowden Barrett. Uh, were there certain players, um, other players that you think have have uh, put their hand up this year or would be contenders for you for you know, Player of the Year? Well, I was surprised by Bowden Barrett's dominance over Aaron Cruden. I thought those two would fight a little bit more tooth and nail for the first five spot, but Bowden Barrett's grabbed it by two hands and doesn't look like he'll relinquish it. So he's been quite impressive, although his goal kicking still lacks a little bit there. Uh, Dane Coles has been very impressive in the front row. He's taken on another leadership role in that group and seems to be going really well. Adi Savi has been pretty impressive coming from the bench and has, hasn't really put a foot wrong in that team. And Anton Leonard-Brown actually has been really, really quite spectacular. No one really had heard much about him, even during Super Rugby. He was a bit starter for the Chiefs, but the All Blacks saw something there. He was an under-20s player, and he's coming in as now likely, I would say, to be the starting centre next year alongside Sonny Bill Williams at second five. Uh, you mentioned uh, a few Hurricanes there, and I suppose their form for the All Blacks, you know, TJ Perinara and Coles and uh, Bowden Barrett and the likes, Adi, um, yeah. really that flowed on from the way they finished the Super Rugby season. Yeah, the Hurricanes, of course, winning their maiden Super Rugby title, making history, beaten finalists last year where they were the favourites, uh, losing to the Highlanders, which was quite a shock, and left a bitter sweet taste, no doubt, in many of the players' mouths. So this year they came back and, and atoned for it. They won nine games on the trot coming into that final, so the, the last half of their season was perfect. They got a bit of a kick up the bum in South Africa when they were beaten by the Sharks, and a few players broke team curfew. Uh, the senior players in the group draw a line in the sand there and, and that continued for the rest of the year. They won nine games in a row. They didn't let the other three teams score a try in the last three games, quarterfinal, semifinal and final. So their defence was absolutely rock solid and that continued on into the to the All Blacks environment as well. You see uh, TJ Pedernara at halfback. No one at the start of the year would have ever predicted that he would be the first choice All Blacks halfback by the end of the year. But Aaron Smith had his off-field troubles and TJ Pitanara took took those starts with both hands, and he's now, you'd have to say, the All Blacks' first choice halfback at the end of 2016. So certainly the Hurricanes have had a superb year, and the players involved in that campaign um, have, have carried on that form at, at All Black level. Uh, you touched on a, a few off-field issues uh, with, uh, with Aaron Smith and then the Chiefs also. Um, the media got stuck into uh, rugby a little bit this year with um, goings-on off the field. There's been a perception in recent times that 
the All Blacks and New Zealand rugby environment is perhaps a little bit of an old boys club and there's a culture perhaps of players not necessarily treating women with the respect they should or perhaps treating their roles as ambassadors in the community with the respect they should. That came to light, of course, during the Chiefs' mad Monday end-of-year celebrations after Super Rugby where there was allegations that they mistreated a stripper who was involved in in those celebrations. Uh, And because of that, the Chiefs conducted an investigation, as did New Zealand Rugby, not internal, which again raised a few eyebrows. And I think that incident, along with a few others like the Lossi Filippo assault conviction case and and a few others of players behaving badly, has forced the NZR to open their eyes and accept that perhaps they do have an issue with with some of the culture within their organisation. They've set up an independent inquiry panel um, which has a lot of women's rights activists as well as other uh, high-profile female lawyers and things on it to try and address that imbalance, gender imbalance within the NZR, as well as looking at ways to further educate their players. So uh, I don't think it's necessarily anything new in rugby behaviour this year, but it has opened the NZRs in the public's eyes and brought the issue out into the forefront, which is a good thing because it will uh, bring around, you'd hope, a more inclusive and open culture and, and less of these... Uh, issues and incidents within New Zealand rugby's umbrella in the future. So it's got to be a good thing moving forward that this sort of stuff's been exposed. Thanks, Joel. I suppose a segue there to uh, cricket also, which uh, in the last month or so admitted that perhaps they haven't um, done their best for the women's game in New Zealand. And uh, I think I even uh, there was a quote there that perhaps uh, they saw the women's game as a loss when it came to the business of cricket in New Zealand. Stephen Hewson, uh, cricket uh, reporter as well, uh, uh, women's game actually uh, in recent months, uh, they've they've had some good competition. They've they've qualified for the for the World Cup, but uh, I suppose in, the main thing in cricket this year is that there has been a few losses as far as the Black Caps uh, have been concerned around the world. Yeah, well, things haven't gone gone particularly well for them this year. I mean, there've been losses to Australia, India, South Africa. They had their win over Zimbabwe, but and then they beat Pakistan two 0 in the series here. But but away they've certainly struggled. I mean. Uh, Brenda McCullum finished up at the the start of the year with the side, uh, but they lost that series, the, the farewell tour for him that was here at home. Uh, in India, it was, uh, I mean, it was always going to be tough, and in India have shown that, uh, that the way that they, or why they are world number one now, and particularly the way they've dealt to England uh, on their current tour as well. Uh, but it was still disappointing in the sense, particularly when we got to the one-day phase of that tour in India, because the, the Black Caps got themselves back to two all in that five-match series, but then they crumbled in the final match when they we could, could have had a quite an historic series win there. It's similar to the way they crumbled, I suppose, last year in the, the World Cup final. So that when the, the going gets tough, um, the black the black caps seem to get become the slack caps because it, they just don't quite cope with, with the way things are going. I mean, that that pressure uh, for, for whatever reason seems to seems to get to them. And uh, I mean, even in the the recent one day Chapel Hadley series against Australia, they started poorly. Um, bowling and fielding wise um, and it was perhaps the the batting that uh, surprisingly um, wasn't so bad I mean we've uh, generally and still seem to be struggling with the the batting department because uh, I, I think what no, while we talk about Brendan McCullum and the way he played, I think the the big thing that he really brought to the Black Cap side was the sense of belief that they were able to beat opposition teams, and, and he seemed to inspire his players. But uh, unfortunately, the batting um, hasn't really gone anywhere this year. Um, overall, I mean, uh, we've seen Martin Guptill try it again in the in the Test series in India and and, and failed pretty much. Um, but but then. 
come the, the one-day game, he's a completely different player. Um, and he's shown that against Australia, who, who boasts a, a top-class bowling lineup. Um, so it's sort of what, uh, two steps forward, one step back, it seems to be, for the Black Caps. And perhaps even this year, it's been a step forward, then a step back. So they haven't actually really gone, gone anywhere, unfortunately. Uh, is it, uh, you know, they seem to do it okay at home and they they play the likes of the Bangladeshis and uh, and those sorts of teams, but playing away in the Indias and the, and the South Africas and the Australias, that's the real test and perhaps that's where they're struggling? Oh, ab- absolutely. I mean, they seem to take time to get to grips with, with conditions when they do play away from home and sometimes don't even get to, to that point. I mean, you've got to say, I mean, that 2-0 series win over Pakistan, who are ranked second in the world, is is a good effort. Um, it's just a case of trying to at least transform or some of that form into into away uh, matches um, and, and why it doesn't quite happen. I mean, I don't think the cricketing public expects uh, the Black Caps to be in, in the, the top two or three even, but what you want to see is is, is competitiveness um, and the ability to, to win games now and then away from home. I mean, you look at that Pakistan team, they're second in the world, despite the fact that they haven't played a game at home for five or six years, given the security issues. Uh, so, so you know, that they seem to, to, to manage it, and they've got to play in a, in a multitude of conditions, and they do so um, seemingly well. Um, but then that's just the... I suppose the way it's always been, really, for New Zealand cricket, to uh, the, the highs that we that we get with um, making the final of the likes of the World Cup, we seem to to cling to, and they sort of last us for for ten years or so. But then the the form sort of slips away. That you know we, we sort of cling to those results for ten years, but you know, the real, realism, uh, I suppose, just needs to to hit home that you know we're we're not a cricket great, and um, but we'll have occasional success now and then. Uh, so Kane Williamson has been uh, captain on and off for a couple of years now, but he's really only taken over following last summer. Um, how? What would you say about his captaincy so far? Uh, well, I think this the, the, maybe the jury's still out a wee bit. I mean, he's certainly not as bold as Brendan McCullum. I think by nature he's quite conservative, and we've seen that at various times. Uh, and and again, I don't think that's going to particularly help New Zealand cricket get get results. I mean. He's also faces a problem that he seems more and more to be have to rely on uh, batting wise, and while he's still delivering runs, you know that's it's a it's a big ask to to do that and be captain when you've got little little backup. It, it seems particularly at the Test match level, but as far as um, captaincy goes, I think he's conservative by nature, and that's pretty much what we've seen so far. Maybe he'll grow and develop more as time goes by. But Brendan McCullum was always ready to take a gamble, and he made no secret of that. And, and that's, you know, possibly what got New Zealand results at times. Uh, thanks, Stephen. Looking forward to uh, an exciting summer of cricket. Uh, on to netball and the uh, ANZ Trans Tasman netball competition had its uh, last outing as uh, a combined thing this year. Uh, Denise Garland, uh, New Zealanders again struggled. The Southern Steel sort of had quite a good season there, but really the Australians continued to dominate that competition. And is there any reason for us to be upset that you know the the two competitions have now split? I think there is uh, perhaps a little concern considering uh, the Australians' domination of that competition right through um, and the fact that it'll be harder or less often that we'll be able to test our players against theirs. But I think in the end it was inevitable. Um, Australia 
always sort of wanted to to do their own thing. It was just that kind of broadcast deal from an Australian perspective that uh, put a stop to it. And this year they managed to to get something in place for the following season. So uh, I think it was sort of a long time coming. But there is a little bit of disappointment, um, I I guess, from a New Zealand perspective in in that uh, we can't really test ourselves as much. And the fact that we may lose further players to Australia, of course Laura Langman, New Zealand's uh, most capped netballer and consecutively capped netballer um, has obviously given up the black dress to to go and play in uh, the Australian League next year Uh, she says to really test herself and and become an even better netballer which I think kind of um, speaks for itself and uh, I guess where the players themselves believe the two competitions next year will lie in comparison to one another uh, there were some positives spoken by New Zealanders uh, in that uh, it would mean that they would revert to a New Zealand style of play rather than competing with the Australians and perhaps that would help the Silver Ferns. You know, more player development because there'd be more New Zealand teams and perhaps it would help our coaching as well. Are they just perhaps those comments just looking for positives out of out of that? And I suppose the litmus test will be when the Silver Ferns and the Diamonds um, meet. Uh, do you think there's going to be anything significant changes, you know, in, in the level at international? I think uh, from a New Zealand perspective, I guess it is a chance to really grow our game domestically. Uh, New Zealand Netball has put a lot of uh, restrictions in place as to how many import players you can have. And um, again, that that restriction that if you don't play in the New Zealand Domestic League, you're not eligible for the Silver Ferns, whereas the Australians don't have those restrictions in place. They, uh, some of the teams are full of uh, international big names. So it will be interesting, I guess, to see whether uh, New Zealand can grow uh, their their game uh, and their style uh, without, um, I guess, the influence of some of the uh, international uh, big names in both uh, coaching and players that have um, played in the ANZ Championship and, and coached in the ANZ Championship for New Zealand uh, in the past few years. Well, fingers crossed that it will help the Silver Ferns because this year, while they were competitive in a number of uh, matches, the Australians, again, were the dominant side. Your thoughts this year, you know, as a, as a, uh, a new coach, uh, close but not close enough sort of thing for the Silver Ferns? I think it's a tough one this year for the Silver Ferns. I mean, they are going through a rebuilding phase, although so is Australia. Um, new coach with Janine Southby coming in for Waitomonu, and of course Casey Korpua, um was ruled out this season. She she had her first child, so Katrina Grant took up the reins there. Um, we also had a lot of, um, I guess, uh, bad luck with injury. Um, Maria Tutaia and Anna Harrison were both out for the quad series, um, and then they lost Kayla Cullen for the uh, Constellation Cup series against Australia. So it wasn't um, the Silver Ferns, I guess, uh, best platform to try and um, uh, compete with Australia. They had some very convincing wins against Jamaica, England and South Africa uh, in both the Jamaican series and the Quad series. But uh, I guess that just goes to show how big the gap is between uh, New Zealand and Australia and the rest of the, the, the world in relation to netball because um, it was only really a couple of games that New Zealand really looked competitive against Australia out of the, the five tests they played this year. Uh, they lost two of the games by 12 goals, which um, I, I don't think anyone in the Silver Ferns camp sort of thought was acceptable. Uh, they did manage to 
win uh, one of the matches by two goals and kind of, I guess, keep the Constellation Cup series slightly alive before they then lost the, another match by 12 points. So uh, I guess uh, there was a lot of young talent that came through and really stamped their mark. Um, Tapia Selby-Rickett in the goal attack. Um, but, but, you know, I think she'll be a great backup for Maria Tutaia. Um Gina Crampton, we didn't see much of her on the court, but when we did see her in that wing attack position, she really uh, showed she had a lot of confidence, a lot of strength. She could be a, a good replacement for Laura Langman, who, of course, probably our strongest player, um, uh, won't be available next year. So um, there was uh, some positives to come out of it, and I think there is a, a lot of um, depth now that we're starting to grow. But uh, I guess next year will really be the test for New Zealand netball. Denise, also uh, of interest for you is the uh, rugby league season with the Warriors. Uh perennial sort of contenders for the playoffs, but it's, but it's been a few years since they've actually made it. Same situation again, uh, again this year. Tenth, I think, overall in contention until the last couple of rounds. Just, you know, how would you sum up uh, another disappointing Warriors season? Yeah, I think it was uh, full of a lot of um, highs and lows, more lows than highs, unfortunately. And the Warriors really were their worst enemies on the park this year um, and off the park. There were some um, off-field incidents that obviously caused um, some controversy uh, earlier on in the season. And it did take them until probably midway through the season to really find their feet, find their form. It was very congested NRL um, table right until... Right near the end of the season, there was standouts of the Storm, the Sharks, but then it was very much uh, anyone's guess who would make the the bottom of that top eight, as it were. Um, The Warriors needed to win both their final home matches of the season. Uh, They lost their second-to-last home match of the season. It was all over. Uh, The disappointment clearly on uh, the faces of uh, the the players. Um, They weren't mincing their words as well. They knew they should have done better. And of course, it um, resulted in, in the sacking or the demotion uh, of Andrew McFadden, who will um, take up an assistant coaching role next year with uh, Stephen Kearney, uh, former Kiwis coach at the helm. Uh, and I suppose going straight on to the to the Kiwis, uh, his replacement, Stephen Kearney and the Kiwis, uh, David Kidwell, uh, he'd been assistant for a few years, but it was a tall order for him to get the side going this year uh, when it came to preparation and then the four nations and while they made the final the Kiwis uh, again really weren't contenders when it came to taking on Australia. Yeah, you're right. I think, um, unfortunately, David Kidwell, while being assistant, as you say, for, for a couple of years, um, but below Stephen Kearney, he did look a little out of his depth. Um, he, I guess, didn't necessarily uh, have the, the nous necessarily to um, really get the Kiwis to, to stand up and, and really make their mark over in England um, on the park. There was no doubt that uh, off the park, the Kiwis were saying all the right things, but really they they went to, to England, they uh, only won one match, it was against Host England in their opening match and it was all downhill from there. Uh, one point win against uh, England, then a, a loss to Australia and while they looked a, a little com- a bit competitive essentially in the middle uh, 40 minutes of that match, it really was um, just the Australians... Um, 
uh, ability to to finish that saw that they were well and truly above uh, England as well. Um, of course, the the big uh, low light of that was their uh, draw with Scotland. Um, fantastic result for Scotland, and I think uh, the Kiwis really did underestimate them. They uh, put all their team members in in that squad uh, and they all got a run on the park who hadn't had caps before the uh, Four Nations so I think they did take it for granted that they were going to come away with a win there and scraped into the final but again it, it just they didn't put a, the, the performance out there on the park that they they themselves were saying they needed to when uh, they, they were off the park. I suppose the other point too just Denise with David Kidwell is that there was a lot of talk about the lack of creativity wasn't there too under him. Absolutely, he kind of uh, there was talk about how he kind of seemed stuck in his ways, and when things weren't going well in the park, he didn't know how to, I guess, really uh, adapt to that. He stuck with his game plans that clearly weren't working, uh, uh, and so I think that uh, it's been a, a steep learning curve for Kidwell. Um, I think everyone is in agreement that he does deserve uh, to. to tr- try and improve uh, next year and of course there is the the World Cup the Rugby League World Cup uh, being hosted in Australia and New Zealand next year so uh, he's got a, a lot of work to do um, but I think uh, the Rugby League community is in agreement that he he does deserve to, to take them right through to that tournament and depending on how they go at the World Cup will I guess depend on his future in that role. And talking of disappointment, we'll go on to the Phoenix. Uh, just a quick word about them. Uh, coaches, uh, Ernie Merrick decided to leave uh, Stephen after oh, half a dozen rounds. Um, struggling once again, full of potential, lots of great signings that appeared in the off-season. Um, just waiting for it to happen on the field, though. Yeah, well, Ernie's been there for, what, three and a half years, and it just never really seemed to click. I mean, the first year or two, I mean, uh, there was obviously talk around whether he was able to, to get the lineup that he wanted. This year, it seemed like things, well, that they should have been clicking. I mean, he, he has got a, a good line, or he did have a good line up there at the Phoenix, but, but things, Ernie just didn't uh, seem to be able to bring them together. Why? Don't know. Uh, I imagine that's the question he's still asking himself because when you look at the lineup, um, that they should have been doing a whole lot better, and they are a whole lot better than what their place on the the table suggests. I mean, whether they're amongst the top two or three sides is questionable, but I mean the fact that they never made the or, or struggled to get past uh, the first round of the playoffs under his reign at all is uh, just sad indeed. And a quiet year for the All Whites. So they finished the year with a tour of North America, played the USA. At- Turned out to be not a, a great side. Uh, uh, Mexico, they've started the Oceania uh, series where they're trying to get to the next World Cup. But 2017 perhaps is the year for them if they do want to uh, progress to FIFA's big tournament. Yeah, well, I suppose the, the big talking point is possibly did the All Whites end Jurgen Klinsmann's reign as a US coach um, because after that draw with uh, the US, I think it was a draw, wasn't it? Was it a draw? They'd, I believe it was, yeah. yeah. After that draw... After that draw with the US, uh, it wasn't shortly or too long before Klinsman was was given the elbow from from the from the US team. But uh, yeah, I mean they're they're a team that they simply need more fixtures and this the usual usual story. And, and hopefully that's going to happen uh, come twenty seventeen. So Matt. Uh a good start this year for Lydia Co, but things sort of uh, tailed off a bit. How would you rate twenty sixteen for her? I would say that Lydia Coe's, yeah, if you look back and you rated it out of 10, I would say it would have been somewhere around about a 7, in my opinion. I think she did get off to a good start, you're right, but 
towards the latter half of the year, she really tailed off, uh, particularly after the Olympics where she won a silver medal. She just couldn't really seem to maintain that high level of intensity that there is in the professional golfing world. We are only talking about a 19-year-old after all, but especially in that yeah, latter half, uh, she, she just couldn't really string four solid rounds together like we're used to with Lydia Ko. She's so calm under pressure normally and can handle anything thrown at her, but she just looked out of sorts, uh, out of places for that last uh, sort of three months of the year. She uh, sacked the caddy and also sacked her coach. Was that sort of uh, part of it, do you think? I think that that was a bit of a problem what was going on with within her family life more than probably what was going on in her professional life to be honest with you um, her family are very close and they look after the majority of what code does on and off the course I think that her mother and father may have too much influence over her I mean she is 19 as I said earlier and she is still finding herself but I think that she probably needs to sort of maybe let the leash off a little bit and try and do her own thing a little bit more because David Ledbetter is a world-renowned coach. He helped her to two major titles and about 10 LPGA Tour titles as well, which is quite impressive in just two short years. But there are those who also argue that David Ledbetter was a terrible coach for Co and ruined her swing. Um, that That is a little bit true. Co's tempo certainly has changed uh, since going to Leadbetter and she has uh, slowly worsened, I guess, in time. But at the same time, she uh, up until about June this year, she was still performing incredibly well under that swing. Uh, but yes, I do. I think it's more of a family issue as opposed to a, uh, to a professional uh, coach or caddy issue. I think, yes, um, they just put too much pressure on her at such a young age. This time last year, we were talking about Joseph Parker getting a world title fight. He's done that now, so 2016 was pretty good for him. Yeah, you can't argue with that. He has been incredible, uh, to say the least, actually, I would say, this year in fighting five times in one year. That is sort of unheard of in the heavyweight division in boxing these days. You look at the likes of Anthony Joshua, out of Great Britain, he's only fighting about two or three times a, a year. Parker's almost double that, you know, so he's really keeping himself busy, which which you don't see a lot of these days in world boxing. Um, to say that he is one of four world champions is, is very, uh, very impressive, but at the same time we need to realise that he is just one of four, not the world heavyweight champion. He still has a long way to go if he is to become the world heavyweight boxing champion. That's Matt Chatterton. Thanks to him, along with Stephen Hewson, Joe Porter and Denise Garland. That's Extra Time until 2017. You can follow us on Twitter at RNZ Sport. I'm Barry Guy. Bye for now. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.